the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up in November, is there a red wave expected? Is it a tsunami expected? We'll talk about it after this. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. So I'm not a big user of Twitter, but I was on it recently and I saw Britt Hume, whom I admire, tweet out that Mr. Josh Krauschauer was moving from one spot to another. He's moving to Axios and called it a great hire. And so I wanted Josh to come on the show and welcome Josh. And it's, it's an interesting time to just look at journalism sort of from this macro perspective. We have social media. We have a million different outlets. I think there will probably be a shakeout. I don't think they can all survive, just like I don't think every podcast can survive. So what what do you think the state of journalism is right now, particularly as it pertains to politics and how we get our information and how it all seems to be agenda-driven for various platforms? Well, thanks for having me, Michelle, and I appreciate the very kind words. Um, Journalism is in a state of flux. Uh, Social media has sort of made it really difficult for a lot of major media institutions to manage uh, their staff, to manage a newsroom. Uh, There there was a, you know, with social media, you have individual journalists that have created their own profiles, created their own brands, if you will. And that's a good thing. Like, I I always believe in reading the journalists you trust, reading the the reporters that do a good job breaking news, explaining what's going on. And sometimes you have in big institutions folks that you turn to. uh, And sometimes you don't look at certain reporters uh, based on your own, your own, uh, you know, perspectives. I I read the sports section and and the politics section. Don't always read, you know, some other parts of the paper. So, you know, that's that's normal, that, that, that that's a very good thing. But I think as individual journalists have had more control and more say, it's created harder for um, managers to, to control renegades or control, you know, reporters who kind of go off the off of their opinions or analyses or perspectives in a way that may not be consistent with the, with the brand. So, you know, you're seeing a very, you know, when I started, uh, not, or not long after I started as a journalist, th- there was a desire to get clicks, to, to get the most traffic to your stories. And, and you still want to get a lot of readers to, to what you write. Right. But I think there's a realization now that the people that are engaging the most are the folks on the extremes. <laughs> and, and, and if you want to build a trusted news source, 
you want to get the facts right. You want to make sure that you're, 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 you're getting everything straight. And sometimes that those two things collide. Sometimes getting more clicks isn't the same as being trusted. And I think a lot of um, institutions are realizing that. Uh, Axios, I think, is a great example of that, that, that being trusted, getting the facts right, uh, being objective, that, that is the core value. Uh, not not any of the of, of the fluff that you see with 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 you know other other institutions. Well, it's, it's interesting. So, you you kind of said with the brand of each you know each publication, whatever it happens to be. I think people like I have friends who are adamant that the New York Times is the only newspaper worth trusting, and yet we've seen them drop the ball. Right, we've seen them get it wrong, which to me makes them less trustworthy. So I think it is interesting how the individual reporter somehow gains that that modicum of trust or that that sort of profile of I know this guy's telling the truth. He always gets his facts right. It, do you think we're still going to see in 10 years, 20 years, the New York Times, the Washington Post as they exist, the Wall Street Journal, Axios as they exist? Or are, are, do you see it becoming just this splinter of, of little groups and on Substack or wherever the case may be? I think we'll have a combination of both, but I think it, it's uh, imperative for these big institutions. Trust is your core currency. Uh, you know, CNN is very interesting. CNN, under their new ownership, uh, they, they certainly played in one direction uh, under under its previous ownership, under Jeff Zucker. And now their new CEO, Chris Lick, is really realizing that that even if you get better ratings or even if you get more buzz, CNN's core value was always getting the facts right being the place where people turn to for breaking news. And I think sometimes you lose sight of that. Sometimes institutions can lose sight of that in, in terms of short-term gain. But the, the big, if you're, if you want to be a respected news institution and, and have that brand for the long term, you can't sacrifice for short-term clicks or bug, you know, buzzworthy uh, content. Right. So, yeah, like I, I think there's going to, it's interesting that you have, I'm, I'm really excited to see a lot of my favorite writers on Substack and I subscribe to a bunch, bunch yeah. of their feeds. And I think let a thousand flowers bloom. I think more competition is good for the industry, but um, I do think it's also important to have big institutions, national institutions that can be trusted. And the, I, I do subscribe to the times, um, you know, I, you can always complain about one story or another, but I think largely their ethos is, is the right one. And they're, they're a really good group of, there are a lot of really good reporters that I trust over at the Times and, and at other publications. Well, you know, and it was interesting when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, right? It, it, we sort of knew his politics going in and it seemed to me that everyone thought, well, this is going to change their their focus. How much do you think he has changed what the Washington Post does? Well, look, I mean, the money that he's able to invest in the company uh, definitely helped them out. Um, they were they were they were facing some tough times and about a decade ago when, when they just were having trouble financially uh, and it was tough. One thing that does concern me is that when you have unlimited money or you have a, someone who's wealthy, who who's buys, buys a newspaper is sometimes you, you need to know your audience. You need to know the market you're serving. And if it, it's like if, if you have a an in-law that loans you money, but you know, there's strings attached, or if you have some, then maybe you don't want to have those strings. Maybe, right. you know, maybe that's not the way to go. And it's not just the post, you have the Boston Globe that, that has a the Red Sox owner, um, owns the Globe, the LA Times has a, has a self-funded or a wealthy owner. And, and that's a good thing in the short term. The thing I worry about is sometimes it's good to know like 
you need to make money. You need to know what your audience wants. And, and, and sometimes you may lose sight of that if you don't have to worry about, about yeah. the bottom line. Yeah, that's true. And and again, I do think the audience wants a place to go that they feel like they're being told the truth, that they're getting the facts correctly. And I think you're going to see some measure of bias almost everywhere. I, one interesting thing that happened recently, you're seeing the Gannett newspapers scale back on their op-ed pages and their editorials and things like that. What do you think is really behind that? Well, look, I mean, Gannett and all the local news chains have have just, it's been really, really hard to make money in local news. And I've written about this, actually, Michelle, that I actually think one of the biggest challenges facing our democracy isn't necessarily in politics, but it's in the fact that if I live in, you know, Dallas or if I'm in, you know, one of those Gannett marketplaces where you don't have a five day a week newspaper anymore, you don't have the quality of political reporting or business reporting that you were once used to. You're turning to more ideological sources. You're, 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 you're not getting any news at all in, in some cases. So, and the, it's also true of TV, too. Yeah. Look, a lot of these local TV, and you know, they're, they're not spending – there's no sports reports anymore on my local uh, – in Washington, D.C. Like I, used to, I used to grow up watching George Michael on, on, on NBC4. The sports and machine. Sports <laughs> machine. And now, like, some channels don't even have a sports reporter right. to, to do this. So th- there's an overall lack of – money and resources in, in, in local news. And I think that those are the sources that people trust the most. They trust the local TV news anchor. They trust the local newspaper. But the amount of money being invested in those um, in those products is much, much less than it was even a decade ago. It's, it's usually a follow the money kind of story. Um, we have Josh Krauschauer on our show right now to talk about uh, not just journalism, but what's going on in politics, which is fascinating to me on a couple of different levels. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Democrats investing money, as some people will call it meddling, in some of these GOP primaries. That's up next. Yay, summer grilling is upon us. And if you're looking for the perfect cuts to put on your grill this summer, look no further. Two words for you. Good ranchers. It's the place to get American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer and anytime. They sell 100% American meat and ship it straight to your door. And right now they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code, which is Tafoya, T-A-F-O-Y-A. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks just added to your order at no cost to you. You are welcome. With Father's Day right around the corner and all the summer events we've got coming up, this is the perfect time to try a box of good ranchers. Your father, your grandfather, everybody needs these ribeyes. You can make a one-time purchase or you can subscribe, and that way you save 25 bucks on every box. And like I said earlier, those two free 18-ounce boneless ribeyes, they are restaurant quality. Other places would charge you 50, 60 bucks a steak to get these, but Good Ranchers is giving them to you for free when you go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya, they're out of their ranching minds, let's face it. And there's no time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today before they run out because this is a limited stock item. First come, first serve, and you want to be first when it comes to Good Ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure you take time today. Right now, go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya or use my code TAFOYA at checkout, that's T-A-F-O-Y-A, to get your two free 18-ounce ribeyes. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers, American Meat Delivered. Back with Josh Krauschauer. 
This is an interesting thing. I, I don't think this is new, Josh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just reading something out of your future employer, Axios. Democratic groups are buying ads touting some of the most extreme pro-Trump candidates in Republican primaries around the country, meddling in GOP contests to set up more favorable matchups in November. So as I read this, what they're doing is let's try to help the really extreme pro-Trump guy win. So then in November, we have a better shot of taking that guy down because we can associate him with Trump, her with Trump, and then uh, our chances are better. What do you think of this tactic? Well, first of all, it's working. I mean, not, not everywhere, but but there are a, a bunch of key races. The Illinois governor's race, where uh, a very talented African-American mayor of, of a big Chicago suburb looked like he was the front runner and looked like he was kind of a future star in the Republican Party. And the Democratic Governors Association, the, the big money group, spent over $15 million so far in helping a more right-wing candidate prevail in the primary. And all the polls show now that strategy is working. And, and the more far-right candidate is, is leading in the polls in a big turnaround. But it's not just that one race. They're, they're now like Senate races, <laughs> House races. The guy in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, who a lot of Republicans don't even want to endorse because of his views about January 6th and other issues, uh, he's, he's, uh, he got support from uh, a Democratic group in the primary before the primary because they wanted him to be the nominee because they viewed him as the weakest candidate. Part of it is that this environment for Democrats is so treacherous. Yes. This is this could be one of the biggest Republican waves that we've seen in a long time. And Democrats know that the only way to win some of these races, at least some of these swing races, is by nominating a candidate that's just too far to the right or too extreme to, to win a not a general election. But it, it's a sign of weakness on one hand, but yeah. the strategy can work here and there in some of these individual governor's races or house races. There's another... Uh, actually, Colorado has become the center of a lot of this activity where uh, Democratic money is involved in the governor's race, the Senate race, and even a big House race trying to get unelectable Republicans on the ballot. It's really incredible to me. I, I wonder, though, the more this gets publicized, do voters see this and think, OK, hold on a minute here. I don't want to be swung by Democratic money. I'm going to really pay closer attention. Or, as you said, you see it working. When will we know? if it's really actually worked in a way that is meaningful? Well, I, I guess if these folks win, that they're, they're supporting, and so a lot of these primaries are coming up here in the month of June, at the end of June, so we'll get a sense of the early returns. Uh, so far, they've Pennsylvania, they got involved, and Mastriano won. You, you had some races in California they got involved in. They lost, so it's a mixed bag so far. But, you know, the bigger bigger picture, Michelle, is that you hear a lot of rhetoric from Democrats that this election means democracy is at stake with the yeah. midterms you, you know if you, this is the if you have these these you know secretaries of state that are um you know far to the right very maga that's going to be the end of democracy well here you have like 20 million dollars and more money coming from democrats boosting these very candidates that they say they say threaten democracy so something doesn't match here like either either these candidates are literally literally threats to democracy and you believe that, or you're actually spending money to actually help those candidates in Republican primaries. Uh, you can't have it both ways. Um, and it looks like their their rhetoric doesn't match their actions. The, 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 there's not a lot of principle behind some of this rhetoric that democracy is really at stake. It's really a lot of money that they're investing in in this effort to to sort of meddle. And I'm thinking to myself, are they going to have the same amount of money, if not more, 
to promote their own candidates come, you know, as we move along here. It's that's it's a lot of money they're spending. It's a good question, especially that money isn't finite uh, or the money isn't infinite. There, there are budgets that they have to operate under. Uh, but I think, um, look, that within the age of super PACs and the age of all the, all this dark money, it is easier to raise money from like a rich donor here and there for this money to come from some group no one's ever heard of because they're, they're bypassing some of the, the traditional campaign finance rules. So I don't, I don't think that they're going to run out of money. I think they, they view this as an investment, frankly, like Democrats think if we spend $15 million in Illinois and we get a candidate that's a surefire loser, we're not going to have to spend $100 million in the general election. So I think they think of it just in political terms as an inv- a small investment to avoid having to spend big money in, in these otherwise safe seats uh, for a general election. It fascinates me to think that, let's say, Republican primary voters are going to see, you know, the, a, a, a loser type, as you, you mentioned, a guy that or a gal that's really not likely to win in November and to vote for them in the primary based on advertising dollars or promotional dollars. Like, I just am wondering how people don't see past this. And that's why I wonder if this is really going to work. And 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 what what you're thinking is, is this actually going to work? If you think of it just from this sort of logical framework. Yeah. It'll work. I think it'll work in some places and in some places it, it won't work. It'll be a mixed bag, but every place it works could end up taking away a possible gov- Republican governorship or a house seat or a Senate seat. So it does matter. Um, even if, even if only a few instances, they're, they're able to prevail in getting a less electable Republican uh, on the ballot. But, um, you know, I think the real question is like this, Claire McCaskill, remember the Senator from Missouri? Yes. She won a Senate seat that she was destined to lose because she boosted during the primary, this guy, Todd Akin, who was the most extreme candidate. And, and that, that allowed her to serve another term and it, it was a, a successful strategy, but you haven't seen it that you see it here and there, but the, as you know, Michelle, this is in almost a dozen races now where Democrats are spending money and, and we're well above $20 million right now on, on the amount of money spent. So this is not just here and there or just one, one Senator or one candidate that's trying to play a little bit, uh, meddle in another, another party's primary. It's, it's everywhere. It's a sign that both Democrats worry about losing a lot of seats in this election and doing whatever they can to save a few, few of their members by trying to boost some extreme Republicans. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch. I don't, I feel like I need a shower after I talk about it because it just feels so wrong to me to to approach it this way. I, you know, and you you ask yourself why good people don't run for office anymore. Some good people do, and some good people prevail, but gosh, they seem to be in the minority, and that drives me drives me bats. Okay, when we come back, there was a really interesting special election that took place down in Texas. Uh, a blue district flipped red for the first time in over 100 years. But will it stay that way? Because again, this was just a special election. This is a really fascinating story and an historic one. And we'll talk to Josh about it when we come back. Since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold has been on the rise. Gas prices are ridiculous. The stock market is extremely volatile. Inflation is worse than it was a year ago. And now we have this war with Russia and Ukraine that could spread to the rest of the world. We pray it doesn't. The markets, though, they don't like this instability. But the good news is you have options. 
Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and it protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there's still time because remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others just lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options of investing in gold and silver. I mean, what have you got to lose just with a phone call? Ask them your questions. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. I trust them. You can trust them too. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, her name is Myra Flores. She's a Republican. She was born in Mexico. She's an American citizen. She's married to a Border Patrol guard uh, or agent of some kind. I don't know specifically his background, but it's a very interesting family. And she just won a special election in a Texas district that has been Democrat for over a century. Do I have my facts right so far, Josh? You do. And and not, not just that district. The whole... Rio Grande Valley in, in Southern Texas, majority Hispanic. It's almost exclusively Democratic. This, this is this is like safe Democratic territory, and it has been for many, many years. And that's changing, not just in this district, but but across the region. Uh, and it changed. And then we're seeing a lot of other races uh, pop up on the radar screen, too. We are seeing that Hispanics have some values that maybe the Democrats didn't bank on. They, they look at Hispanics as a slam dunk uh, support mechanism in their in the party but we're seeing a different story here this is a this is just one case she won a special election what does it tell you though that she was able to 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 win that yeah well it shows that the democratic party is paying more attention to the activists um rather than the voters the hispanic voters themselves so they're while they're spending time figuring out what what whether to use the word latinx There are a lot of Hispanic voters that are, especially in Texas, on the border, worried about border security, worried about the economy. I mean, inflation and and the price of goods, the supply chain, it's out of whack and and they're concerned about making ends meet. They're worried about crime and and safety in their communities. Uh, So there's this big, big disconnect where Democrats, I think, took for granted the overwhelming support they traditionally get from Hispanic voters and didn't listen to, to the actual 
voters themselves who, if you look at polling, if you listen to focus groups, if you even do a little bit of reporting on the border or in any, any other neighboring community, you will hear the, the concerns of the Hispanic electorate the same as, as most other Americans. And uh, that district, by the way, uh, it's the, the second most Hispanic district in the entire country. It's a district that Hillary Clinton won by over 20 points wow. uh, in 2016. Uh, and it's one Biden even carried, but by a narrower margin, just just in 2020 as well. So this is a I mean, it, the, the one asterisk is that this district won't exist. Uh, they're changing the lines for the right. November election. But she still has a chance to win in an even tougher seat because of these larger trends that we've been talking about, because the Hispanic vote, especially in, on the border in the Rio Grande Valley, once heavily Democratic, now swinging dramatically to the Republicans. Well, it's so interesting, too. She's getting so much publicity out of this win. I mean, it's a national story. It's a it's historic because she's the first Mexican born woman to become a congressperson, a congressperson, congressman, congresswoman, however you want to say it. And, you know, there's so much attention about this because it had been a blue district for so long. This is an historic win. How much do you think that will help her when even though the district changes, She's still going to be a candidate. She's riding this momentum. And as you said, the trends are very much showing that Hispanics disapprove of Biden's job. Uh, his, you know, his approval rating among Hispanics is really low. What do you think her shot, her chances are? She's got a shot. I mean, she's going to be- become a star yeah. in, in Congress in the next five months. Now, she, her district goes from about a four point Biden district to, I think, about a 13 or 14 point Biden district. And she'll be running against the sitting congressman from that area who decided not to run in this this last election. So it's not going to be easy, but the political environment in that area has changed so much that even some of the big handicappers, like the Cook Political Report, still views it as a very competitive race. I think it's a lean Democratic race, which means that, you know, in a wave, in a good Republican year, that still could be in play for, for Myra Flores to win in a tougher seat. So that, and there are two other two other districts right next door that are also traditionally Democratic, but have moved in a Republican direction where the Republicans have nominated Latina uh, candidates who have very compelling personal stories. And they're even more. I mean, I think they, they're very confident in, in some of these other races in that same region for the for the very for the very reasons that we've been talking about. You know, I'm from a, a Latin family. My dad, um, Hispanic, is ho- a very huge family. Uh, he started his life in New Mexico and made his way to California. But I know what his values were. I know what my extended family's values are. Um, and it, it has always been deeply rooted in faith and law enforcement, you know, law and order, even though a bunch of my relatives have a, a they came here, they came here legally. Right. And I think that matters. What do you think is the driving? We, we, we know that inflation and the economy is a driving factor across the country. We see the gas prices, but, and, and while nationally the border ranks sort of lower down there, it's gotta be an enormous factor, isn't it? Yeah. All politics is still a little bit local, local yeah. and, and in that area. And this is, I don't think this is true for every area of the country with the large Hispanic population, but on the border, these districts on the border, uh, they are much more hawkish on border security. You mentioned uh, Congresswoman-elect Flores is the wife of a border patrol agent. They, they care about the disorder and, and the chaos that can often be tough to manage. And, and the Democrats, you know, I, I think they're, they're, they're pro-immigration in the sense of legal immigration. Yes. But they, when the Democrats have gotten 
so far to the left in terms of not talking about enforcement, not talking about you know, adhering to the rule of law, that's where, where they lose. The Democrats lose a lot of these. Voters. Well, and even a Democrat like Henry Cuellar has been very vocal on this topic. Henry Cuellar got a primary challenge from his left and and, and he looks like a win, but it shows how divided the Democratic Party. That, that is a microcosm. In fact, not to get into too much of the nitty gritty, but her the, the opponent in the primary that Cuellar faced was from further away, was from San Antonio. And the border voters, the ones that were closest to the U.S.-Mexico border, voted Cuellar 80, 90. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a tale of two parts of the district. The folks that are closest to the border know what's going on. They're more conservative. They're more hawkish on immigration. And that's how Cuellar was able to win his primary and may have a chance because he's much more moderate on this issue to win, to win a general election. Okay, so how much stock can we put into some of these anecdotal stories going on? I mean, they're real, but it's in one part of the country I know you've been talking about the numbers that may have to that may move so that the House of Representatives becomes Republican, so that the Senate becomes dominantly Republican. What what do you see happening? What's your best prediction and how we get there and when it really matters and makes a shift in Washington? Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing the polling uh, looking very favorable for Republicans. And as an analyst, like there, there's certain fundamentals that are, aren't likely to change between now and November. Right. So, the, I mean, we know inflation is, is, is through the roof and we heard the Fed raising interest rates significantly yesterday. That's not going to mean that the economy isn't going to suddenly magically improve no. for November. And that's the driving force behind so much Republican, um, why Democrats are in so much trouble. Um, you know, pride of the crime and, you know, some of the issues, the mass shootings. I mean, they, they've been awful, um, and, but it just creates a sense of political malaise that doesn't help the party in power. So, you know, things could change, but it just seems realistically to expect the environment being pretty similar. And and if you look at the polling, uh, Biden's job approval under 40 percent, that that's really bad. Uh, Democrats are trailing on this congressional ballot, which is very unusual. Usually they even when they have a bad year, they're they're often ahead by a point or two and Mm -hmm. they're down by two or three points on average right now. So like all, all this suggests and I've talked to, by the way, Democrats who think this might be the worst political environment, strategists that are on the ground working these races that say this is the worst environment that they've, they've run campaigns in for their party. So, wow. you know, again, five months away, things can change. But right now, the way things look is that Republicans have a chance to have a very, a very big night on, on election night, especially in the House. Uh, they have a shot uh, of, of winning the most House seats since 1928. Wow. Um, it's pretty, pretty historic, uh, going back to the Calvin Coolidge administration. Yeah. And the Senate is a little more of a wild card, and, and they, they've had some trouble nominating their best candidates um, on the Senate side, but I still think the political environment is such that they should at least get a couple seats, at least, because of the the, the, the wind that's at their back, Yeah, um, even if they don't take advantage of every Senate opportunity that's out there. Is it just me or does the Senate seem to not be able to go wildly one direction or the other these days? It just seems like we're always really close to 50-50. Or am I am I not well, did I am I not looking back far enough? No, you you're right. I mean, the map is fairly favorable to Democrats in that a lot of the battlegrounds are in states that Biden won. Yeah. So there's not a lot of like easy pickings for Republicans, but at the same time Republicans have nominated some first-time candidates, some uh, rookies. It's kind of like, you know, going to training camp with a first-round draft pick that has some upside potential, but could also, you know, struggle right. uh, as they as they get acclimated. Right. So Herschel Walker, speaking of Herschel Walker, is one of those candidates in Georgia. 
Uh, you've got Dr. Oz in yeah. Pennsylvania. And these guys have never run for elections before. They've had some stumbles on the campaign trail. They've got a great political environment to run in. But ultimately, these Senate races are a little more about the candidates themselves. And if, you know, Walker fumbles, you know, a little bit more, if he doesn't live up to expectations, you could see some of these races be missed opportunities. When was the last time Herschel Walker fumbled? I'd have to look that up. We'd have to see. My pro football reference. uh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One more quick one before I let you go, Josh. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm curious about this. We saw that after Biden got elected in 2020, that it had people known more about this Hunter Biden laptop, had that story not been quashed, had the facts been out there, it may have swayed some voters. All right. Now the story's out there. People know even more (laughs) than they would have known in 2020. We're hearing tapes of him now saying, oh, my dad thinks I'm a God. You know, it's, there's just a lot out there about Hunter Biden, whether or not this should impact how people view Joe, I would imagine it is impacting how people view this president. Is is that as problematic for him as 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 it looks like it should be, you know, obviously to a lot of people or or not? Well, look, here's the deal. If Republicans win back the House majority, I would be I, I would expect the relevant committees to have hearings investigating some of some of these details. Um, so that that's one thing we might expect in 2023 with the Republican run House. Uh, you may see investigations of of, 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 of the laptop of the president's family and some of these business dealings. So I think we may not have seen it litigated in 2020. And the, there's a social media aspect to that, that I know you've talked about and is, is, is something that's very relevant in terms of like what social media allows and doesn't allow yes. its platforms. Yes. But I think, I think ultimately power lies in the legislative and the executive. There's a lot of power in the legislative branch. And if Republicans do get control of Congress, I would not be surprised that there are a lot of investigations. We hear a lot more about this in 2023. It seems impossible to me that Biden would run in 24. Is there a Democrat that we is a is a long shot at this moment, but maybe coming down the pike that could help this party? Well, look, it's going to be really tough for the party because I, I agree with you, Michelle, that you talked to average voters and having someone who would be 86 at the end of a second, closer to 90. Yeah. Just people don't don't that they they get that they yes. get that the president has lost the step, and I don't think Biden, even if he wants to run, uh, would be their their strongest candidate. Yeah. Frankly, the problem is if he doesn't run, then Vice President Harris is sort of the default next in line. Democrats don't think she has what it takes. No, if you, if you go to drinks with any Democratic official or strategist, you'll hear some pretty frank talk about the vice president. But the question is, she you know she still would have some support. And then you'd kind of have a wide open civil war within the Democratic Party, which they would love to avoid. But I don't think that if Biden doesn't run, that would be unescapable. You know, as as far as people I I like, Governor Jared Polis of Colorado, uh, he's done a good job handling COVID, more moderate uh, on a lot of these social issues. Uh, He's kind of a libertarian um, in his thinking in many ways. So, you know, he says, I, I interviewed him, he says he doesn't want to run for president, but he's the type of Democrat, a governor from outside of Washington someone who has a pretty good track record in his home state, instead of having someone in this administration, um, you know, 2023, 2024, Michelle, we could be looking at recession. We could be looking at, you know, interest rates through the roof. I don't know if you want to be part of an administration that has that track record um, going into a huge presidential year. It's interesting. I keep throwing the name Joe Manchin out there, but some people say Democrats don't like him enough. And I just think he's so middle of the road that he could actually maybe unite the country. Am I crazy? 
on the substance, you're right. I mean, he, he's 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 kind of a de facto president now. Uh, totally, he's yeah. Been to, he's been right about inflation. He was right about a lot of stuff. And Democrats are belatedly giving him some credit, I think. Uh, but unfortunately, like we're we're so polarized, and there's no way a Democratic primary electorate would nominate Manchin. They don't, they don't even want someone like you know they, Michelle. They don't even want someone like Kirsten Cinema, who is a very mainstream Democrat from Arizona, who said also said like. This is too much spending, but I, I would support you know less, but not 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 this level of spending. And, right. and she's being drummed out of her party in Arizona. Um, and you see this on the Republican side too that it's harder and harder to be a kind of a middle of the road type of lawmaker. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that Mansion, um, in a you know, if, he, if we lived in a parliamentary system where you could run as the, the moderate party, he'd yeah. be he'd be a leading contender. But you know, I, I think the best hope for Democrats is frankly someone outside of Washington a governor that actually got things done yeah. in comparison to what's going on in Washington. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. And there's a lot of time to uh, promote that person between now and then. Josh Kraushar, you'll see him at Axios. I'm looking forward to following you there. And I really appreciate your time and insights. This was really fun. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Enjoyed it. This is Sideline Sanity. We'll see you next time. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days. I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And, you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where diversification has always been key and and we hear it we've been told it ad nauseum you know diversify diversify and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback they're in trouble diversity means asset class diversity as well you know some real estate um, some precious metals these are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially and, and, and we know that they happen they happen continuously and they recur so that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in, in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people 
increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitory. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm-hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold and this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, In the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And and now I'm going to ask you a tough one and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why Legacy Precious Metals is the place to go? I'm, I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I, because I, I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. is I'm not a politician. Um, I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that, It's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We've gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's We see that. We see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us, and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008, and I know a lot of people do. And, you know, that was a crash, and there have been other crashes. But why is it that when the economy crashes, 
gold has historically risen. I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's it's the safe place, right? When, when, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. Yeah. Uh, we can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use 8%. That means everything costs you 8% more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right? To fight inflation, but we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year. That in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're they're juggling an economy and the stock market. And it was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, no. that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver. And you can contact them as well. LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them. See what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.